Steve Serbic. I'm very happy to have you on today. Um, I will say I'm uh, I'm not too sure where this podcast is going to go. <laughs> um, so I guess I'll just kind of put up a bit of a trigger warning. Uh, there may be some topics. Uh, we may get into some suicide issues uh, or, you know, topics related to that. Um, so, yeah, I'll just kind of put a generic trigger warning up. Um, and I guess sort of in line with your work is you're a fireman. And you wrote this book, a great book. It's called The Unbroken, a Firefighter's Memoir. And I've had a number of authors on the podcast. I think this, you think you're the fifth one. Um, and generally the, the format for that is I'll read sections of the book and then we'll kind of have a discussion on that. And so we were chatting on the phone the other night and, uh, and you asked me, so what's the format of your podcast? And I'm like, well, you know, it's different each time. And I just kind of tailor it to the guest. And, and I said, since you wrote this book, you know, I figure you kind of use that as a frame of reference. And then you said that uh, you're on a f handful of other podcasts and that's what they did. So immediately I'm like, well, I can't do that now. We got to do something a little bit different. So, which is great. So, I mean, no, nothing wrong with that. So I think what we're going to end up doing, um, I will put up a link to... And I guess, where, where's the best place to buy the book? You can get the digital copy on Amazon. You can buy the book on Amazon. Um, Barnes & Noble, Indigo in Canada. Um, yeah, it's available everywhere. It's sold uh, across North America, the UK, Australia. Yeah, it's been sold everywhere. It's, it's been pretty, it's been a very cool journey. Great. So I'll, I'll put the links up for that in the episode description. Um, I, I think I, I want to start off, I'm just going to read like the the about the book section just kind of gives you an overview and then we're just going to have a conversation and and i'm sure we'll get into some topics that are in the book we'll just kind of do it in a more organic way instead of a structured way um but anyway let me just jump in really quick here so about the book when a series of traumatic calls on the job as a firefighter leaves steve shaken and unable to recover he reluctantly at first seeks out clinical counseling his one rule I won't talk about my childhood, closes the door on several therapists until he meets one who is willing to respect his wishes, providing he explores his childhood on his own. Smart counselor. <laughs> That's a good move. <laughs> when Steve begins to reflect on his past, he also begins to write it all down. The good and the terrible. Those words are written here. Growing up in a fractured family rocked by addiction and trauma, Steve had to learn how to understand life and death on his own. As a self-described street rat on, on Boundary Road in East Vancouver, Steve caused trouble when it wasn't already following him around. Struggling in school, at home, and in countless fights, he navigated his way through adolescence with the help of his father and pursued his dream of becoming a firefighter. While realizing, his while realizing that dream, he is forced to confront the demons of his past and the reality of post-traumatic stress injury. Through, clin through clinical counseling, he is able to release his past and find the power of self-acceptance and vulnerability. The Unbroken is the memoir of one firefighter, his family, trauma, and resilience. Most importantly, it is a story that teaches all of us, no matter our situation, that life is school and the subject is ourself, our life habits, thoughts, and our reactions to them. And sometimes it is okay to not be okay. So that kind of gives you, um, yeah, gives you a pretty solid understanding of, of 
you know, kind of where the book goes. And, you know, it's, um, yeah, I think I'll kind of start with this. So I'm curious, like, so, you know, um, kind of in our discussions before kind of recording, uh, you know, we're talking about a bit of like the culture of, of firemen and, and firefighting. And it's not exactly, and I think that kind of comes through in that little introduction. It's not like, hey, let's all get together and talk about our feelings. <laughs> That's not a common thing. Um, now, it, you know, times are changing and, and that's an excellent thing because, you know, the support needs to be there and you can't get help if you're silent about it, you know. So there's a huge element of courage involved in that because that's what it is. It takes courage to do that. It doesn't mean not having fear. It doesn't mean not being ashamed. It just means, you know, having the courage to, despite that, move forward in a, in a growing direction, which is no easy feat. Like, I don't want to, you know, trivialize that. Um, so going through your book and, and reading your book, so, I mean, I've known you, uh, I mean, you've known my dad for, well, 30 years, something like that. I mean, I'd, that'd be about right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so by default, I mean, I'm 25, you know, so that kind of covers my lifetime right there. And, uh, you know, so I've known you for, for a while and it's really interesting, like reading your book, which is, I mean, it's down and dirty, you know, like it is, it, there's not a lot held back in that. And so it's really interesting for me. And I'm like reading this thing and I'm like, that's that guy, you know, like that's Steve. Right. Um, but I think maybe I'll just kind of throw the, throw the question to you, which is like, I mean, how, what, was that a scary thing for you to, to write this book down and, in all of its, like it says the, the good and the terrible. The book was never meant to be published. So to be honest, I, uh, if, if someone reads that book, it's basically a clinical counseling session. People think it's about, you know, firefighter and stoicism and, you know, this bravado culture. I do talk about that, but what I do talk about is how a clinical counselor breaks down some of the issues that surround trauma, that surround things that you've dragged around from your past, which is clearly what I did. And, you know, I could never meditate. I could never do that. I mean, I played hockey with your dad for years. And, you know, like I just said here tonight, I mean, I get shaped by people chasing me. I have a, <laughs> I have a completely different way of thinking. I have a racing mind. I'm always working on something. I can't sit still. So for me, um, as a kid that wasn't very smart in school, as a kid that got in a lot of trouble, hung around with kids not making the best decisions, I was embarrassed and ashamed about my childhood and my parents um, and myself, to be honest. I, uh, I think it, a lot of kids go through um, periods in their life where um, they have tough, tough periods and they don't necessarily share that with people, especially their parents. And in my case, I went through a really, really tough, maybe a year and a half where I felt like a loser. I told myself I was a loser. And now that I'm an adult, I realize that words are very powerful. Thoughts are very powerful. But if you say something out loud to yourself, it's very powerful. If it's negative, it's super powerful. And if it's positive, it can be just as powerful. So you pick and choose. When I look back at my childhood and how I told myself I was a loser, um, it terrifies me now because 
I think about, you know, all the kids out there that I was struggling. I was definitely struggling as a kid. And I talk about, you know, wanting to take my life, you know, as a young child. Um, you know, I, I didn't really understand um, what's the, I, I really didn't understand um, my emotions. I didn't understand, you know, my parents were both alcoholics. I thought everybody's parents were alcoholics. You know, where I grew up, they're all Europeans. They, you know, everybody seemed like an alcoholic. Everybody's breaking in and stealing things. It seemed like the norm, but I never felt good about that. And then when I became an adult, I realized that wasn't the norm. So I actually ended up becoming embarrassed of my past. And what happens to people when they hold on to their past and they never process it, it takes up space. And now, most first responders want to become helpers. So did I. I was very fortunate to become a firefighter. Took a lot of work, but I landed my dream job. And when you have a history and you want to become a helper and you haven't dealt with that history, you don't have a ton of space to deal with things like <laughs> trauma and abuse. And, and that's what happened to me. And I went to a department that was a real fire department. I mean, it was rough and tumble, lots of calls, busy, you know, shooting, stabbings, lots of fires, like we had it all. It was a great place to be a firefighter. And um, I was taught early on that if things bother you, just have a couple drinks. And so I became a very avid drinker um, and it worked. Like people say, you know, you know, I can't believe you use that as a coping mechanism. And I tell people, I'm not joking, it worked for me. And then, you know, I'm a young family. Um, there's some parts in there where I talk about it being a young family and struggling and my daughter getting sick and and then going to some calls. I'd never had three kid calls in a week and I ended up getting three infants that were in full arrest for uh, two were smothered and one was killed in a car accident. And um, I'd never had that happen in my career before. And my daughter just happened to be dying in the hospital at about the same age as two of these kids. and. What you do as a first responder is if you see a face that looks like a friend, you relate that body to that friend and it takes on this whole meaning and creates all this, you know, these bad thoughts and, and it really stirs up a lot of emotion. But in this case, I had connected these two of the kids to my daughter dying in the hospital and I became very angry and because I was such a good drinker, I continued to drink. And so... My daughter ended up surviving and coming home and she's now a beautiful young woman, but um, I really struggled in that period and my wife was adamant I go to counseling. Um, so I did, but I, I didn't really know counseling. I didn't really believe in it. And I felt that was for weak firefighters and that's not who I was, which that stigma still is around today. And so. I just tell people my story and my story is about um, somebody who really struggled but what was so important to me that nobody knew. And my wife broke my trust and went and reached out to firefighters and told them that I was in a super bad way and they came and got me into a clinical counseling and a clinical counseling, um, well, really a session, but connected me with someone who they thought would work for me because I had tried it and it just didn't work for me. And uh, yeah, it was magic for me. Um, and I, I started openly talking about my childhood, which I'd never done before. I mean, I shed a lot of tears. The counselor I was with right away, I, I felt I trusted her, which is a big deal when you're, when you're opening up to someone. Um, 
she knew how to position questions where I would just bite on them and, and I would answer my own questions that I had in my head. So she figured out what was bothering me and then got me to answer things that she really already knew the answer to and so did I, but she just got me to verbally say them. And yeah, I learned a lot about myself. And that's what we talked about earlier was, you know, the life is learning about yourself. The subject is yourself. And so in the last several years, I've done a lot of learning and it's all been about myself. So. One of the things that uh, jumped, so actually right before you got here, I reread a couple sections. Um, the one where you mentioned as a, as a teenager, where you, you know, um, attempted to take your life. Um, and then uh, also about Ken, your, your story about Ken in there. And so I just kind of went over those two stories and I was just kind of thinking about them a little bit. And, uh, you know, talking about, um, your, your childhood. And at that point in, in your life, you're in high school, you know, it's so, what's interesting about that is, um, like just as an adult going back into that part of your life, like when you wrote that, like, cause what I'm curious is like, when you write something down, there's a level of detachment because now you're looking at it. It's not sp spiraling in your head. It's, it's in front of you. You got something to look at. And so I'm, you know, I'm curious, like when you wrote that down, when you went over that, um, it's basically this, there's a few pages where it's a story and like you got in a fight at school and then went home and, you know, and, um, but yeah, just kind of going over that, like, what was your reaction to it? Or what, what, what was sort of some of the things that you're feeling when you wrote that down and you kind of like, as a grown man, looking back at yourself, like, what was that, what'd that feel like to you? Well, what's interesting about that as a grown person, I've thought about that moment hundreds of thousands of times. And it's interesting because I work with clinical counselors now, I work with psychologists now. And, you know, when people think about suicide, they, they attribute suicide to um, the world would be a better place without me. Um, I'm, I just want the pain to end. I, and as a young kid, I tried to think about exactly what I was thinking. And um, I had thought about it a lot. Um, and so when I wrote it down, it's interesting when I wrote it down because I, uh, I realized I really hated myself. And I, I blame my parents for everything, which I don't think is uncommon with some kids. I think that might be a common thing and you really never hear about it. And, you know, I, I, I can honestly say, I think I, when I look back, I was a loser because that's who I believed I was, right? So you can be whoever, you, whatever you believe you are, that's what you are. And I, I was a loser. So somebody said, you're a suicide survivor. I said, no, actually I'm not. I chose to live. Like I seriously contemplated it. It was a very weak moment for me, but in the end, I'm still here. I chose to live. And I, I don't like that term suicide survivor. I like the term, you, you know what? You looked at two options and you chose to live. And I like that as for people that may have been in a bad place in their life and they thought about taking their own life they can now fall back on, I chose to live. And I, I think that's just a better way to look at having suicidal thoughts. I work with a lot of people who struggle and have suicidal thoughts. And when you get to openly talk about them, especially with first responders, I never say it's gonna be okay, but I always say 
it's okay. And they say, it is? I go, yeah. And they'll say, I'm having suicidal thoughts. I go, that's okay. I've had suicidal thoughts. I did a presentation, a very large one, in a conference center um, for uh, a regional fire chiefs, uh, fire chiefs and um, all the union presidents were there, the province of BC, there was a lot of people there and I told everybody in the room, there's, there's very few people in this room that I've never had a suicidal thought. And I'm not saying they all thought about taking their own lives, but I'm thinking that you've thought about it whether you watch it on TV, what, but so I just try and downplay it's not such a big deal to have a suicidal thought. What's a problem is if you're having suicidal thoughts and you're not going to see someone, that is a problem. So um, I have this thing, you mentioned Ken in there. Um, Ken was an amazing human being that I met um, as a, when I first became a, uh, a chief of operations, he was a chaplain in the fire service and he came over to help me to be better um, with the fire department I was with and he was a strong man of faith and he showed me a lot of things he did in his chaplaincy to help me make a connection with firefighters and he really helped me raise my game as a as a chief officer and uh, he we he told me that he suffered from depression and he told me that he had had suicidal thoughts and so we had this amazing friendship built on while we're talking about suicidal thoughts and depression, we can talk about anything because mm -hmm. guys don't really talk like that. So just the kindest, nicest human being you ever met. And that book was inspired by Ken because he knew I wrote it. I'd written it 10 years before it was in a, I hand wrote it as well. So it was a stack of papers in my closet and he said, you got to finish it and you got to just give it to your kids. He said, because you don't know what your kids went through, just like your parents don't know what you went through, just like it would be great for them to be able to feel better about some of the things they went through, even if they don't talk to you about them because they know what you went through. And I thought, geez, that's a great idea. But um, I never really did work on writing that book until, you know, Ken became my mentor. He became a teacher. He became uh, somebody I really looked up to. And uh he ended up taking his life in March of 2018. And when he did that, um, all those emotions um, that I struggled with came back. Everything came back. But what was interesting about that time in my life, um, I had been working with clinical counselors and psychologists. I'd been on a speaking circuit. I, I was out there trying to crush the stigma and talk about mental health. I had a whole new set of resources that I had never used before. There were breathing techniques. They were resources where I could phone up someone and they could talk me through parts and the panic attacks that were starting again. And all those things were gone in about three to four weeks just because I knew what the tools were. And it just shows people who are struggling, you know, with sadness and, and, and panic attacks and anxiety and depression that there is a way to help yourself. And I, I managed to turn myself around very quickly. But what's interesting is that, I mean, it's very humbling to lose someone to suicide, but it, it was very humbling for me when all those things actually came roaring back into my life. Um, so I, I, cr I kind of crashed all over again, but I recovered very quickly because I was more educated and, and knowing what my triggers were and, and surrounded by people that can help me. And I think that's the real lesson that I learned. And I'm so honored to have had the short time. I only had Ken in my life for three years, but he taught me so much. And, and that's the way I look at my life. I, 
you know, I, what's that saying? Um, don't be sad it happens. No, don't. Uh, you might have to edit this part, but. Um, <laughs> I make mistakes all the time. Yeah, it's all good. <laughs> don't, don't be sad that it's over. Smile that it happened. Yeah. Right? So I smile that I was able to have him in my life. And uh, yeah, you know what? I've had so many positive things happen in my life in the last several years, but it's because that's the way I look at life now. When I was that 12-year-old little boy, I was very woe me. I was very, my life sucks. I attracted all that bad energy. And now I attract a completely different type of energy. And I do believe in that. Um, and I wake up every morning with a super positive attitude. Is every morning great? No, you know, it's not, but it certainly helps, you know, and people ask me, you know, you talk about sadness. When I published that book, I was on three major uh, television newscasts. I, my story was run across 60, it run in 60 newspapers across the country. And a lot of the questions were, how did you get over that sadness? Like, how did you make it go away? And my response is, it didn't go away. I still have it. I just deal with it differently. Like I'm the same dude, but I deal with my, would deal with it differently. And one of the biggest things I think people ask me is, you know, but I'm ashamed, I'm embarrassed. And I said, you need to change that thinking to, I accept who I am. And you know what, maybe I'm weird, maybe I'm this, but that's where your strengths are. Like if you look at you know, especially people that are struggling. The one great line that someone said to me that I, you know, I reuse is um, there's one thing you've always been good at. And it's even with people I've, ne I've just met. You've been able to get through bad days every time you've had them. So your batting average against bad days is actually 100%. And they like that little line and I liked it too. And, you know, you're you're having me on a podcast show here and we're talking, but you meet people throughout your life and you never know you know, how you're going to affect them. And it's funny because this book, I leave a book somewhere every week. I leave it on a, uh, on a park bench, on the SkyTrain. And this week I left it uh, down, I uh, landed, I commute to work. I landed on a float plane and I was at the convention center and I was taking it out of my bag and I was going to walk it over probably about, I don't know, 150 meters. There was a bench over there by the Starbucks. I was going to leave it there. So I just wrote in it and, and I thought, why don't I just leave it right here? So I left it right there on the bench. I just said, hey, you found my book. I'm so glad you found it. I want to wish you and your family all the best. And thank you for supporting mental health, Steve. And I leave it there so somebody finds a book. But I do this every week, and I don't know if they get thrown in the garbage. I don't know what happens to them. Like, I'm, I'm increasing my distribution by, <laughs> you know, leaving books around. Um, but I was walking away, and I saw they look like tourists. A man and a lady were looking at the book on the bench and then they stood up and they walked away and I went, oh darn. So I wrote on my Instagram account, oh, I left a book, I post a picture where I leave it and I thought they were gonna take it but they chickened out, they didn't take it. And this girl posts on there, I got it, I picked it up and she goes, I, I, I haven't left my town since the pandemic started. It's the first time I've been out, she's from another town and she said, I just got a new mental health diagnosis and I'm really struggling. And I had looked at buying this book three weeks ago. And when I, I saw it, I thought it was someone else's property and I walked away and then I came back and I opened it and I started crying when I read. And I was like, okay, you know what? If I got to give a, th I got to leave a thousand books on benches to have one response like that, it's super fun for me. So this whole journey of writing a book, um, I have no business writing a book, just so you know. If, I mean... I'm just a guy who struggled in school and spent 15 years writing down some things, sitting in clinical counseling, and she asked me to write things down. And then 
I, I, I would like to say I, I rewrote that book 50 to 60 times. And when Ken took his life, I made sure I was going to finish it. And there's a thing, you know, it's, it's like uh, Apple. You can go on and you can upload all your Word documents and they send you a book. So that was going to be my plan. But because I'm not super great at grammar and, you know, I had a, my son graduated from Queens and one of his friends is a lit major. So I said, hey, can you clean this up? I'll pay you. You know, he's a struggling student. So he cleaned it all up and he goes, you should show this to an editor. And so I did. And she goes, you have to publish this. I go, no way am I publishing it. It's super personal, right? Like you said, there's a lot of stuff in there. And so I thought about it. And then of course I'm thinking, how much money do you make from a book? And she goes, nothing. You make nothing from a book. So, so I said, I went back to her and I said, okay, let's do this, but I want to remove five parts. And I, I removed one and, uh, I softened three of them. Um, but her argument was to leave them in there. One's about a girlfriend. I didn't, I have no desire to hurt the girlfriend I had in high school, but, um, the story she told me rocked my world. Uh, and then we had, I had this really dysfunctional relationship. So I wonder how many people go through that. So I think it's an important story, but I wanted to remove that. I ended up leaving it in. Um, I wanted to remove the part where I thought about killing myself at 12 because I was embarrassed about that. I didn't want to talk about that, but I ended up leaving that in. Um, the puberty part I softened because you don't need to hear about showers and all that <laughs> stuff. So I, I, I softened that a bit because when the clinical counselor wanted me to write it, she wanted me to write it as exactly how it happened. So I did that. So that part got softened. But what is interesting, um, I just got deployed to the wildfires and several people came up to me and wanted to talk about my book. Are you the guy that wrote the book? And I'm like, yeah, can I ask you a question about this? And there was a couple people that asked me, guys, like captains, and they asked me a question about the part, about the puberty, because I talked about how I, you know, first understood what a sexual act was. And I actually, me and my buddies broke into a house and I actually watched one on a, not a video, like movie reels. And I had no idea what was happening. And, you know, I wondered how many other people that happened to. And one of the things about that being a boy, I'm sure it's the same for girls, but uh, that whole experience of puberty was very weird for me. I was thought there was something wrong with me. You know, I, when, when I had a chance to talk to my son about it, um, I got to talk to him as an adult just recently because I was on another show and um, I said, Hey dude, did I talk to you about puberty? He goes, yeah, you did that. Like, what did I say? And he goes, you told me, there's not, there's nothing wrong with me, but there's going to be some weird things going to happen. And you're going to feel really weird. If you need to talk to me, I'm here. It's all good. But he goes, what you didn't know is we, they showed us stuff in school that would. And so he got, I must've missed that part of school or they didn't have it because that was, I struggled. And so it was interesting that people wanted to grown men wanted to talk about going through puberty because that was very hard for me. I didn't understand it. Um, I think that could, you know, negatively affect people. I think it did for me. Um, you know, I, I think I was an angry kid and, uh, I, uh, but w what happened when I wrote the book is, um, this clinical counselor really showed me that there was really nothing wrong with my childhood. Yes, it wasn't great. Yes, it was dysfunctional, but she, she showed me how great it was that I became friends with my mom again. Cause I didn't have any relationship with my mom for five years because social services removed her from my home and how hard my dad fought to keep me. And, 
you know, and I actually wanted to go to a foster home, to be honest. But I'm so glad my dad fought for me. And, and when I look back and got to write it down, I realized how smart my dad was for an old European guy because he put me in sport. He channeled that bad energy I had from breaking into things and stealing things into, you want to get in fights all the time? Well, go play football, go play hockey, go play lacrosse. And that's exactly what he did. And I believe this when I say it, a sport ended up saving my life and I believe it can do that. And that's why I'm a huge proponent that kids should have the opportunity to play sports if they want to. So. Yeah, that was really good. <laughs> I, um, yeah, well, you know, it was funny. So, uh, I'm trying to think how to kind of frame this. So you were over at the house, uh, couple weeks ago and prior to that i hadn't seen you for like 10 years or something easy. like that yeah, was easy 10 I, years. I think back in the old giver days yeah. when, when my yeah. older brother was working for you um and you know so you know so see you and you know we schedule the podcast okay and then get the book go through the book and and you know f just personally it's a bit of an interesting time for me and, and after reading your book and just sort of, you know, timing is, you know, there's something to it. Yeah, you know, I really believe that there, you know, I'm not really sure if I'm on the, you know, everything happens for a reason kind of thing. I don't know about that, but timing, I believe in that. Timing is everything. And so, you know, getting, getting to read that, you know, read your book, which is very, you know, like I said, you know, at the, at the beginning, you know, that takes courage to write that, you know, and, and then you wrote it with never intending to be published. And then the thing's going to get published. And that's probably like, a, oh, and like you said, it's kind of like, holy shit, like what? Like, I don't want people, you know, they know all your dirty secrets, you know, or, you know, 98% of them, right? You know, like they're out there. And, you know, so it's been kind of, yeah. And, and so for me, um, I'm not going to get into everything today, but I'll get into one thing, um, which was that, so when I was in and I'm not sure if I've mentioned this on the podcast before. Maybe I have, but not in this kind of detail. Um, so I was in grade 11. I was playing hockey. Some asshole smacked me in the head. Blindside hit me. Still remember that day very well. It was a November long weekend, the, the Remembrance Day uh, you know, holiday. And we were playing out in Vancouver by uh, Queen Elizabeth Park. I can't remember the, the rink out there, but the really nice one, the one that they built for the Olympics. And um, yeah, I got cracked in the head. And uh, I remember hitting the ice, and I knew right away something was very wrong. I couldn't really understand what, but I knew something was not good. And I'm staring up at the lights, and I got it. I kind of, they lifted me up. My legs didn't work. So they shipped me, you know, carried me to the room, got me dressed. I think I walked out. I'm not sure. Um, and then that basically started a five months of significant post-concussive huge issues thought i had a brain bleed um, because i wasn't my condition was not improving um, i had a girlfriend at the time and i i don't know this like so we um I, i've spoken to her a few times since um so i don't remember this but she told me that she called the house because i didn't have a cell phone so she called the house and uh, i answered and hey How's it going? Uh, yeah, good. You know, how you doing? You know, like, hey, it's, you know, it's me, right? Who? 
I didn't know. So we'd been dating for several months. I had no idea who she was. So to this day, I don't remember that happening, but I take her, I'm sure she's telling the truth when she's telling me that happened. And uh, one of the things that was the most significant was um, I really struggled with uh, suicidal thoughts. And what was interesting is maybe a relative term in that instance. Um, there was almost no knowledge about concussions at that point. Um, I believe Sidney Crosby in January when they had the winter classic, that's when he got blindside hit. Um, and then that kind of started the concussion research because the superstar went down and that's kind of how it goes. Then it spread to the NFL when a bunch of these, you know, poor guys are, you know, killing themselves or killing others, you know, in some instances because their brains are just scrambled egg. And so, you know, that kind of, the, and the knowledge now and the resources and the support for, for especially kids um, is tremendous. So when I was going through that, my reward, um, when I came, and when I came back, I still was symptomatic to, to school. Um, and I was in, you know, several AP classes. So the workload is, is, which it's a university course in high school. And so the workload is tremendous and they didn't waive anything, not a single class of mine. They didn't waive a, a, a fucking thing. <laughs> it was congratulations. Glad to see you're feeling better, which I was not, uh, here's four or five months of work that you have to do. And you also have to keep track of what we're doing moving forward. And you're, you're young. University is everything. If you don't go to university, you're a, you're a moron, you're an idiot, you're a loser. Um, the, the idea of taking a year out is just not, that wasn't even, that wasn't even in the, in the discussion. So you have all this stress, you have all this pressure and your brain is compromised on top of that. Plus you got panic attacks, which are confusing because I didn't know what the hell a panic attack was. I just felt like I was dying. You know, you go through these moments where you're just sitting down and you start wigging out and you don't know what's going on. Your heart rates at, you know, 190, you know, and, uh, well you would know, right? I mean, you felt them, they're horrible. And, um, I, I wasn't, you know, at the time I, I didn't say anything to anybody for, for a really long time. You know, I didn't tell my parents, I didn't really know how, cause I didn't really understand, um, because I attributed it to, you get told post-concussive syndrome includes headaches, light sensitivity, noise sensitivity. Sometimes there's suicidal ideation, you know, we'll just slip that in, you know, but we're not going to unpack that for you. We're just going to tell you this is what that is. I don't know what the fuck that is. You know, I'm just some, I'm just some kid who couldn't sit in a chair because I would fall out of the chair because my balance was so bad, you know, so you're all kinds of messed up and you think about having, and I think, you know, when, when my, um, symptoms started to finally ease the ideation slowly went away but the damage from that was that i'm trying to figure out why am i having these thoughts because i don't want these thoughts so there's this whole other lane of you know traumatic brain injury and and the effect that can cause and so um you know just sort of thinking about all that stuff. And, and when I, when I kind of think back and, you know, now I'm at a place where, you know, 
unfortunately or fortunately, I was kind of forced to deal with everything um, in August because my personal life completely fell apart in a number of ways. And so everything just came flooding in and issues from when I was 16, 15, whatever, you know, it's like, okay, dude, like you put it away. Now it's, now you got to make a choice. You know, what are you going to do? And so luckily, you know, I mean, it was, it was horrible. You know, that was, you know, and I'm glad that's like why you say like, you know, the, the negativity, the, the sadness, um, of course, through your line of work, it's a different context, but the principle is that it doesn't go away. You just learn how to deal with it. You learn tools to deal with it. And, um, it's just really cool that, you know, you write this book and so you put your story out there and it sort of, in a number of ways, it reminds me of David Goggins book. Yeah. Because he's got a, a very similar, you know, in, in concept, very similar story to yours. And he said the exact same thing. Of all the ultra marathons I've done, of all the pull-up records I've done, this was the hardest thing ever because I was embarrassed of my experiences as a child in an abusive home. I was embarrassed of my family. I, I would tell people my dad died, which was not true because I couldn't face it. And writing this book forced me to face all these things and ultimately it helped so many people and i think that's like such a remarkable thing because like you know and i i came across goggins book when it came out i guess a few years ago three four years ago but then reading your book and i know you like you know there's a connection so it's different and i think you're right you know there's a lot of people who you have no idea no, and more people than you know, it's interesting. I mean, that's why you're doing this is because you're coming from a place and this is your Olympic event, right? So you're going to take yourself to the highest level of this event and you're going to prove to yourself, hey, by the way, thank you for comparing me to David Goggins. <laughs> Never <laughs> been right. compared there to Goggins go. <laughs> before. That's awesome. Um, I... I talk to people all the time at their lowest. So someone will call me and say, hey, can you talk to this guy? And actually some gals too. Um, sure. And I have no idea what the conversation is going to look like. But it always kind of trends around the same thing. And one of the things, like you said, is when you're there at home, your parents are working, you're a kid, life is, there's more pressure on you as a teenager than there is if your mom and dad are losing their home. You know what I mean? It is like a lot of pressure on, on teenagers. And I call that the downward spiral. So the downward spiral, spiral um, which people go through, uh, I went through it. If I had been taught how to manage that, you know, where's the ground? How do I land? And I just, I do this thing. Ken actually taught it to me. It's the four R's. Um, I recognize that somebody's in trouble. Uh, I respond and so basically I say it's, it's okay. I don't say it's going to be okay because they have to do the heavy lifting. They've got to go see somebody. If it's really bad, if it's an emergency, they'll call 911 or I'll sit beside them and call the crisis line. I'll call it, I'll talk and then I'll pass the phone over. Um, done interventions. Uh, I've been involved in several suicide interventions, uh, some successful, some unsuccessful. Um, but that's called the downward spiral and people go through it alone. A lot of people survive it and never talk about it ever. And that's cool that you're talking about it because you're, you're able to 
process it and compartmentalize it and do something with your life and, and do it. You know what? When you get to like 5,365 and you're totally out of gas, you're going to think of that moment and think, this is why I'm doing this. I got to do this because I really, I came from a really tough place and you can use it as a, you can use it to inspire you to be better and stronger and, and do something. And that's awesome that you're doing that. And you're doing that for yourself. And that's an Olympic event. Like that's cool. Super cool. You're doing that. Um, the one thing about, you know, being in the downward spiral spiral is, uh, people are embarrassed. They're ashamed. There is something wrong with them, but they don't want anybody to know, nor did I. And that's where people, that's where it gets very serious because, um, some people, my wife, when she realized it was in a really bad way and my drinking was out of control, um, I would agree with her and then wait till she went to bed so that I could have three more drinks before I went to bed. Like I could do easily half a 26 or, you know, and, and it, I tell people it worked, it worked until it didn't. And then it didn't. And I, I was struggling. I, I looked at people who were struggling as weak yet. I'm struggling, but I'm, you know, I have no problem judging cause that was the culture I was raised in. And, you know, I thought I had a bit of a bumpy childhood. I, I got all this adversity. I'll be fine. And I, I borrowed from tomorrow is what I did. I just kept trying to get to tomorrow and I'd get to tomorrow. I'd do the same actions again, same coping mechanisms. And for first responder, booze, cocaine, you know, drugs, sex, all those things are factors when they cope. Those are all coping mechanisms. And they're unfortunately, uh, they're used a lot. And, and people are now, I'd say in the last five years that, you know, there's, there's thousands of me out there talking about it and sharing my story. And that's why people feel um, comfortable about talking to me. I'll give you an example. I was in West Palm Beach just before COVID and I was talking and there was a lot of people from the fire service there. And so I usually fly down the day before, I get into that city the day before, and I usually try and stay at least till noon before I get on a flight or drive to the next city. And um, so I stayed the next morning and I told everybody I'd be around, I'd be in the lobby. And so this one guy, He's, he's a big division chief from a big U.S. East Coast department. He goes, I want to go for beers. We're going to go for beers tonight. And I know why, because he's got a story he wants to tell me. He's gonna <laughs> yeah, pound. you know the ruse. Yeah. yeah, and I'm like, you know, and he's going, come on. And so I end up going with him and a bunch of people to a, a bar. I was drinking Coke, and he's probably on his fourth beer. And he goes, <laughs> so he takes me over, and he tells me a story of something. And I sent a message to a guy in that region and said, do you know who this is? And he goes, yeah, I go, is he liked? And he sent back loved. So I was like, okay, I'm going to do this. So I went over and uh, he's telling me this story and he's telling me how great that talk was you gave. And, you know, he's telling me all the right things. And then he proceeds, which people do, uh, to tell me a story about what he watched his dad do to his little brother when he was 10 years old. And he felt his whole life that he had let his little brother down and he never did anything and he never told anybody. And I said, you have never told anybody this. And he said, no. And he was crying. I'm crying and I'm hugging this fricking 60 year old guy in this bar in West Palm Beach, Florida. And, um, I said, do you feel better? And he said, I feel amazing. I said, that's why you got to go talk to somebody like that's it right there. There's the magic. And he's, I, and you know what? He probably didn't, he, you know, but I, when I came home from that tour, I had to go to clinical counseling based on what he told me 
because it had affected me. I could not get it out of my head. It definitely had affected me. And I have this cool trick where I protect myself from people's stories, but in this case, I couldn't do it. And I've heard hundreds and hundreds of people's stories. And I learned from that and I, I become more knowledgeable and I do research. I reach out to clinical counselors. I write stuff down. I talk to them about their stories and how could I have helped them? And here's what I said. And, you know, I have a referral list right across the world for people to see people. I can do it in all the Western countries anyways. And, um, the people have amazing stories that they've never told anybody. So it's uncommon that someone hasn't struggled. That's the norm, but you think it's the opposite. So for people to go out there, like you just shared your story now, I mean, that's super courageous. And you know, you're able to process things. You're able to talk about at least to yourself. If you, you don't have to get on stage and you don't have to, but clinical counseling unwinds that clinical counseling, a good clinical counselor, um, will get inside your head and figure out what's bothering you and then help you process it. There's no magic. They're just, but it doesn't have to be clinical counseling. It can be EMDR, which is a technique to help you process your thoughts, to help you do the therapy, but it's not a therapy. Um, there's all sorts of things that can help people. And, you know, you look at um, the new things they're doing now. It's like you, Bessel van der Kolk is, you know, talking about, using mushrooms with doctors and it's, it's crazy what they're doing now. They're taking people who are fully suicidal and, you know, and they're completely reversing that with psychedelics, which is terrifying. But if you're doing it in a doctor's care, it sure, certainly is intriguing. You know, I mean, I know a lot of people who, thankfully, I, I only chose alcohol, but I know a lot of people whose coping mechanism was cocaine and, you know, um, the one thing about that drug is uh, it's mixed. And I know, well, I'm a firefighter and I've been to many calls where you go to electrician and very professional people's homes and they're dead, overdose from, you know, too much fentanyl and that Coke. And they weren't doing it to kill themselves. They were doing it to cope. And that's the sad part about coping quietly is it's very dangerous, right? So my four R's are, res are recognize, respond, refer, and then reconnect. And I can't reconnect with everybody, but um, I do like the journey that I'm on and I've met some incredible people. And I've seen some incredible stories of people very, very low, um, landing from that downward spiral and turning their life around. In fact, right now I'm, I'm working with a gentleman who's in rehab and um, I did, I was involved in a couple of suicide interventions not so long ago. And, uh, you know what, um, I don't know about one of them, uh, but I do know I'm on the positive side of another and that's the way it goes. Right. I, I move on very quickly and that's my survival skill. Um, we talked about, you know, watching jumpers and stuff like that. I, I respect people who want to take their, I respect if someone wants to take their own life and I move on very quickly. That's my survival skill. Um, when it's my friends or my brother took his own life, it, I can't do that. But um, I have a I have a very unique way of moving on, um, and I have breathing techniques in my life. I I haven't had a panic attack in a long time, not one that I couldn't control. Um, so I've been able to create tools for myself that work, and, and that's what I inspire people to do when I talk to them. Is they have to do all the heavy lifting. Nobody can do it for them, but we can get you to someone that can help you learn how to do that. And once you learn about yourself and figure out what your triggers are and 
um, yeah, it's neat. And so for you to do what you're doing physically um, is challenging yourself much. Go- it's very Goggins-like. <laughs> yes, he was an influence on that. Yes, so, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> but, but it's cool because um, you are you're doing it to the extreme. I mean, that would be that would be unbelievable. It would be an unbelievable experience leading up to it. Just leading up to it, all the work that you've done, all the thinking that you've done, you know, um, super cool. Well, and, and, you know, like we're talking and, and, you know, when I started, um, I couldn't do, uh, well, I couldn't do a single pull up, which I'm doing a chit up challenge, but I couldn't, I physically was too weak to do one pull up and I could only do, uh, five, was it four sets of five or five sets of four chin ups on my best, absolute best day, and you would be wiped out after. Like, I was just like, oh, you know, done. Um, And I just kind of, you know, when you think about certain things that, and I think I do have a bit of a, um, I I don't know if it's okay, if it's really correct to say an obsessive personality, because I think the term obsessive has a bit of a negative connotation to it, but driven is sure of it, that's a positive one. Um, but you know, it's just some, what, whatever it was, you know, it gets in your head and you just go, you know, okay, you know, let's, let's try and try and do this. And you go through, you know, now it's like, I mean, we're, we're like 10 weeks away and it's just like, I mean, I am so excited and terrified in a good way. You know, that's good. Little fear is good in you, you know? Um, and, and you think about, and like I said, you know, now things, not like I repress them, but you kind of are pulling things out. Maybe in a, you're looking at them certainly in a more mature way. My um, self-talk, you know, like you, like when you're talking about, uh, you know, I felt like a lo- I would tell myself I was a loser, you're worthless, whatever, whatever horrible thing you can think of you know, saying it to yourself. And when I read that, I was like, yeah, I lived for years. And and it was, you know, before the concussion as well, there were, you know, I won't get into that part today. But, you know, even talking about like, so the the two sections that I reread was, you know, the the section about when you were 12, and then the, the section about Ken. And, you know, we were just saying before we got on the, the air that, um, so you were here two weeks ago, and we were talking about a friend of mine um, who was not doing well. Struggling with mental health, yeah. Big time. And uh, he took his life a couple weeks ago. And the funeral, um, so we were, he was my defensive partner uh, in soccer. And he was really good. And and we were very good teammates. And we competed with each other in a very, like a very healthy way. And, uh, and he was my favorite teammate. He was just a, he was a really hard, hard ass working dude. Anytime you were on the field, you knew that guy was going to bring it. And I always brought it as well for my teammate, you know? And so, you know, he, you know, is now gone. And the, uh, the funeral was, like I said, it was last week. And, and so, you know, I, I went, um, cause we had, you know, we played together from five to 20, years old so 15 years and then um he continued uh we we still continued a a relationship you know after that i don't really have much to do with uh 
only a couple guys from the team uh, I still maintain contact with, and he was one of them. And, uh, you know, so we went to the funeral, and it was, uh, you know, it was an open casket, which was, I wasn't, I, you know, I won't kind of get into the details, but it was, I wasn't really sure, you know, going in like, oh, you know, I don't know. And I mean, and it was funny. So like I'm wearing a, a whoop strap. It's like a fitness tracker. And I remember walking into the, to the, you know, funeral home and my heart rate was jacked. It was just like, holy, and I checked it on my phone after it was 170. So I was like, holy cow. I'm like, okay, it didn't feel like that. I'm like, oh my God. And, you know, and you, you go in and you see his family and, you know, it's brutal. And, uh, you know, we go into the room to see him and, uh, he looked really good. You know, I will say he looked really good. And what, what surprised me, um, you know, and they had a couple chairs in the room. So, you know, I, I, with my dad, you know, he was a coach as well. So, you know, and, 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 you know, I kind of looked at him like, you know, let's, I just, you know, you just kind of wanted to sit for a bit, you know, and we sat, you know, it's hard, you're crying and it's, it's heavy and is, you know, and it was really strange because his mom and his brother were in the corner opposite us, obviously devastated. And so you have that scene and then six feet in front of you, eight feet in front of you, you know, he's there and uh, just looked so peaceful. And so that was like as hard, you know, and difficult, obviously, you know, and that's never, ha I've never lost someone in that way before. So, you know, again, like the timing of all this stuff is just like, oof, you know, it makes you think. And uh, I just remember thinking, he's okay. When I heard the news, I wasn't so sure. Uh, I wasn't really sure, you know, that's something, you know, depending on your theology, you know, you interpret things a certain way and, and your life experience, you think about things a certain way. And we left and, you know, it's shitty, but, you know, you kind of get to thinking and, it, you know, it, it's difficult. You know, one of the things that when you talk to people about this, it's like people who maybe haven't felt that, that ideation before, you know, I just, you know, I just can't wrap my mind around it. I just can't figure it out, you know. And it's like, yeah, because well, you're trying to look at an emotional thing, a psychological thing, logically. You can't do that. It doesn't work that way. They're in pain. They're in so much pain that that's the answer for them. You know, that is sad. You know, that is devastating because not like you can save everybody, but certainly there are people that, you know, maybe you can and, you know, maybe it does work and, you know, whatnot. And I just remember thinking, you know, like how you're, how you're discussing, you know, like kind of a survival skill, right? Is, you know, you just kind of, you move on and, you know, things happen and okay. And, and kind of one of the things for me was, okay, he suffered. He is no longer suffering. I am completely convinced of that. It still sucks. It's still sad. It's always going to be sad. Um, but now I kind of think like now that I have better control, maybe not control, but I, I live my life better, much, 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 much better. Um, I try to get the most out of myself every day and that's the drive and, and not every day goes that way, but you go, okay, got you, get ready. We're bringing the heat tomorrow and you do, and it's great. And you just kind of keep going and hopefully, you know, it just sort of goes down that road. And, um, 
but I just kind of, you know, since then I'm like, he taught me so much as a competitor and that's how I've kind of come full circle, you know, how to live my life and how much competition means to me. Cause everything's competition, you know, there's a lot of things in life, everything's competition and kind of sort of reevaluating how to, how to best, how to get the most out of myself and what techniques to use. And, and that daily thing, two and a half years of just, you you got this goal and you need to go, you know, this thing's going to destroy your body. You're going to be more tired than you've ever been. You're going to be like, why the hell am I here? You know, it's going to push you so far. It's going to push you right into the unknown. You got to be prepared for those questions. And so, you know, you go through all this training physically, mentally, and then you, you know, you see your, this guy who meant so much to you in those formative years and, and to my adulthood as a com fierce competitor, skilled player, very skilled player. I'm not really sure where I was going with that no, whole story. You know but... what? <laughs> I love, I love your self-talk there. I love that you can use that as inspiration, but you're not going to own that moment mm -hmm. and you're, you're looking at them and you're, 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 you're finding closure in the moment. Yeah. And now you're, you're using it as inspiration. And, you know, I work with, uh, psychiatrists, psychologists, and a lot of them tell me that you don't know how long someone's supposed to be here. <laughs> very right? true. Yep. Very true. Cause I see a lot of kids. Uh, I see, you know, a lot of people that there's no way they should have died. And yeah. so I use that knowledge i guess what you would call it what they've shared with me is you know you can't own that moment when he took his life but you had the ability to find some closure and now you can use it as inspiration but you can't own that you can't pick up those bags and carry them with you you can put wings on your back and use it to fly but the important part about that is is you're able to find closure and you know what i'm not a religious person um, my friend ken was very religious but um, I do believe you can talk to your friends who are gone. And I, I, I was involved with someone who was struggling and, um, it didn't end well. And, you know, his wife said to me, I know why you were supposed to meet him. And I said, why? And she said, so you could explain to me why he took his life. And I had done that, but I just, her saying that, um, I'm just a dude. I'm just a guy that happens to be on this crazy frickin' journey. <laughs> I do I do respect the journey I'm on. I am honored to be on it, but sometimes it's very hard. And when to hear that from somebody, it makes me feel a little better because she feels better, but it also terrifies me when someone says that because, you know, I believe in the universe and things no they don't happen for a reason, but there's no way that girl finds my book who was looking at buying it three weeks ago, who just got diagnosed with a, you know, a mental health diagnosis and is suffering that day. And she finds a book. There's no way, you know, and maybe there is a way, but I'm not believing I'm believing something was meant to happen. And your friend is no longer in pain. Um, you know, he's, he made a difference while he was here and Definitely. you know what, go back to that, thing where you know don't be sad it's over smile that it happened you got to spend some great years with a great human being and i don't know i mean i, I my favorite book is the alchemist um we don't know how long people are supposed to be here and 
I, you know, I love your self-positive talk. I, I know it's hard. I saw you getting emotional there. I know <laughs> it's hard. Um, but you just got to do that. You can't carry the bags. You, you just, you don't own that moment and you can, right, drop the bags and put the wings on your back and, and use it, which is what you're going to do. And you can do that with all those things, all those things you talked about when you're, you know, at 5,726, that's when you're going to dig deep. And, you know, that's what makes you resilient. That's what makes you strong. That's what life is. It's about adversity, you know. It's ruthless. Yeah. Life is ruthless. Life is not here. You know, one of my favorite um, Instagram bit of a tangent but I'll, I'll pull it back which is uh it's called nature is metal i'm not sure if you're familiar with this but it's it's basically this nature it's okay basically what you're going to see is you're going to see a bunch of animals eating each other that's what you're going to see um but you know as people we forget we're so removed from nature generally you know westernized whatever right you know we're not in uh we're not on the Sahara getting eaten alive by a lion, you know, and then a pack of hyenas comes by and finishes the job and so but this this whole nature show, um and the guy who runs the channel, his captions are phenomenal. He's so good at this stuff and he basically kinda ties it back to like, you know, people forget like life is ruthless. Nature is here to it's not here to be your friend, it's here to wipe you out. You know, and but this and the point of his channel, even though it's about animals and you know, and it's very graphic. I mean, it's you know, it's I mean, there's also some like crazy funny ones that you know come up, but a lot of it is, you know, when you're in the wild as an animal, there's two ways you're gonna die. You're gonna die of starvation, you know, old age starvation, or you're gonna get eaten by something else. That's it. Okay. Oh, those are both suck. <laughs> there's a shit way to go. Um, but it reminds you, you know, it reminds you of the harshness of, of not just nature, but the world it's harsh. And, you know, if you want to kind of tie it back to people, when you look at history, particularly the 20th century, which was, I don't even know what was going on in that century, but I mean, Stalin's gulags where tens of millions of people are just killed starved you know the ukraine was starved a whole country starved to death i mean it's just that's people to other people but we didn't grow up in that time we grew up in a different region different era and it's just like you forget the harshness of life you know but you know and, and people want to talk about you know well we're talking know. on the eve of 9-11 right now right. 20 years ago what the hell you know what i mean you like know? it's it's true what you say and it's you, you just i was there i went and it's still surreal to me to i said to you i i got emotional this weekend because you know there's they show lots of scenes and you know we went down to the pile every night and you're watching these fdny guys dig up their buddies with their hands and they're carrying these mummified bodies by you. And uh, honestly, as I'm talking about right now, it's like, it's like it never happened. Like it was just unbelievable. Like you're sitting there and you're looking up at, I don't know, 40 stories that are still sticking out of the ground burning. And you're like, what the fuck is happening? And I, I still don't know, but I do know life is hard. And I do know there's going to be more events like that. Probably maybe, Hopefully not to that degree, but it's not going to get any easier. 
And so that's why your positive talk there you had is that's how we survive all this. We, we do it to ourselves. We, we help our friends and our neighbors and you know what, we just, we just keep going. And you know, it's, yeah, you look at the way the world is and we, we can be better. And I do think your generation and the next generation, I do think it's going to be better. I really believe that, but that is my self-talk, right? I believe that it's going to be better because I'm not going to believe it's not going to be better because then I'm going to worry then. But I do really believe it. I convince myself and you know, I, I'm an operations chief. I work in a busy department. There's a lot of, a lot of mayhem and carnage and, um, yeah, I got to survive that because I got a family and I want to live a long time and I want to see how my journey plays out and I want to meet as many people as I can. You know, I've been fortunate to travel to over 60 countries and work in China and the Middle East and do, you know, some crazy jobs, but I, I really do like people. I just like them. I believe in them. And sure, I've had some negative ones in my life, but I, I've cut them out. Like my life is I don't want to say pure, but it's pretty good because I only have people with good energy in my life that I like. I will even say that I love, like I, my friends, my family, and to lose somebody is hard, but I like how you, I like how you're handling that. And you know what? I'm sure, you know, six months from now, you're going to get a wave of emotion, get sick to your stomach and have a, you know, a moment that's important that you never forget those moments and you cherish them and you keep them. And those emotions are good. That means your system's working perfectly, right? So, yeah, life is hard. It is hard. Well, the first tenet of Buddhism is life is suffering, right? And it's like, you think about that particular religion, right? Which is like, you know, gets branded as like, you know, the most peaceful and Zen, right? You know, that just kind of all, you know, it's okay kind of thing, right? And it's like, but the first tenet of it is life is suffering, it's just three little words so harsh and it's like you know from you know my kind of journey then you're reading your journey and and then discussing it you know life is harsh enough the world is harsh enough uh you don't need it to be too too on oh right you as yourself don't pile on right one v one i like those odds <laughs> but you know two two against none Give yourself a chance, you know, and that's the thing. You, you, you can't get stuck in the mud because life will do that. It's, it's going to do that, and it's going to do it in ways that you will never see coming. You know, that's kind of the, the beauty and the, the curse of it is that you have no, you know, I certainly did not think, you know, two weeks ago that was what was going to be the thing, you know, and it just changes as simple, you know, as quickly as that, and as a fireman, I mean, holy shit, that is literally the definition of your job is showing up to these, you know, accidents and things that just, you couldn't guess that. Like, you wouldn't wake up in the morning being like, oh, you know, a bunch of these people are going to die today. Like, it's just not a, it's not a thing, you know, but in your line of work, being exposed to that and having to cope with that and, and cope and survive and thrive, you know, it's not just, let's just get get through to tomorrow like no let's live like let's actually like do something with tomorrow you know not just get by so i mean it's just yeah you you just have to have that um and i mean again like that's easier said you know it's easier said than done of course 
but it, it took a lot of work for me to get to where I am. I tell people that I tell them, you know, I just told a guy very suicidal. Uh, I actually got on a helicopter and, and had him meet me in a spot and he was in a different town and I, uh, I talked to him and we walked around and I said, listen, in two years, you're going to look back. He goes, two years. I go, yeah, two years. Like you're, you're losing your business. Your, your wife just had an affair on you. You're, you're going to have to get custody of your kids. It's going to be a lot of work. And he reminded me, um, that that was important for him to hear because he is, I know who this guy is. He's a fighter. He's strong. He's, and he needed to. He needed a, to, to know because he just felt like it, everything was over. And he changed from, and I said, I'll help you. I'll be there. You have lots of people in your life that you love, but you're going to have to do it. And I, you know, I, I worked with a guy by the name of Kevin Briggs. Um, we did a show together and, you know, I wanted to be better at my negotiating skills. So I wanted him to help me. And he was, uh, 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 worked for the California Highway Patrol and his, detail was the Golden Gate Bridge and so in his 10 years of working that detail he talked hundreds of people from the other side of the rail to come back and I wanted to know you know what his body language looked like what did he say how did he start I wanted to be better and uh, you know he said that uh, he'll get right up to somebody right beside them he goes I could touch their head no problem I could grab them but he said I would never do that and he said, because if they want to take their life, that's their decision. But if I pull them back, then I force them back into this life. He goes, you think about how empowering it's going to be for them to start their new life when they climb over themselves. And, you know, he said he talked to someone for an hour and they had a you know, great conversation. And he thought we were there making headway. And the guy said, you know what, Kevin, I want to thank you so much for taking the time, but I got to go. And he left. You know, and that's life. I mean, it seems harsh to talk like that, but I, where I am in, a, in my life, I have a beautiful family. I got amazing kids. I got spectacular friends. Um, I want to enjoy that to the fullest. Like you said, I want to thrive. And I didn't always feel that way, but I've worked very hard to get to the part where I wake up every morning, I smile. That's how I start. I lie there, I open my arms up fully, and I look at the universe, whatever I said, let me have a good day today. And I kind of laugh. It's going to be a good day. Get up. I brush my teeth with my left hand, which is my other hand, so that I get fire my brain a little differently. I try and use my phone with my other hand to just get that part of my brain going. You know, I do 50 flights of stairs up and down, and I get ready for work. And I play ACDC or listen to motivational thing on the way. So I start really well. You know, I don't always finish really well, but... Um, I protect my mental health. You know, I'll go to a lot of calls where there's a murder and, you know, I'll show up and the crew will say, chief, you want to come in and see? And I'm like, yeah, no, <laughs> you know, but I do owe the police interviews. So I hear the details through all the crews that were there. And, um, and then, you know what, I try and protect my mental health, but I don't do it by drinking a 26 or of, you know, vodka, which is what I used to do. I don't do that anymore. And sometimes I feel shitty and I'm okay with that because that what I heard was traumatizing. And I have lots of friends who, you know, are doctors and can help me, but I also do clinical counseling. I do a lot of EMDR. I, my clinical counselor is an ex-police officer and 
um, I can tell her anything and you know, but I can also tell my wife anything as well, right? Like I, I'm very fortunate, but yet I still struggled. So I feel, I feel for those people that are by themselves, like this gentleman I was just with, he's struggling because he's losing everything. I mean, everything. And he's a really nice human and he just has given up. But what we talked about was his kids and you know how how hard it's going to be to get out of this and you're going to be ready to work at it and he is and that's the way it works but when you make a connection with someone and you you're there and they don't make it it's hard um you but i don't wear that i you know what i've my another survival skill i move on because there's uh what did someone call me a broken healer i think that's what she <laughs> said and uh I always come back with them just to do, but I care. And if you're willing to do the work, um, you know, if people want to talk to me and not go to a clinical counselor, I'm not interested because I'm like a screen door, right? All the things I get told, plug up that screen and over a while it gets completely plugged. And I've been there uh, more than once. Um, so I'm very good at making sure the wind is blowing and that screen door is functioning properly and if if i do feel um i have issues or i'm struggling i make sure i deal with that i get ahead of it um anxiety for me was crippling uh i had panic attacks that um, were crippling uh i you know i had my panic attacks were so bad out of i was at a very high dose and would barely take it away and um, i was in a really bad way and you know um i don't use out of anymore i don't need antidepressants anymore. I don't, I've got to a point in my life where I know who I am. I deal with my shit. I protect my mental health. I stay around people that are positive. I start good in the morning. I have a breathing technique that's, a, that's awesome. And I use it all the time. It happens automatically now I use it so much, which is cool. Same with my thinking. Um, my, my thought process has changed so much over the last several years that it happens automatically. So my body protects itself now, but the only way to get there for me was to learn it, to try it, and then to practice it till I became good at it. And now I don't have to use it anymore because it happens automatically. And, you know, I talk to people about trying to be positive and they say positive thoughts don't work for me. I said, thinking, um, being positive will work for you eventually because you become a positive being it it, it works um and you know uh, there's so many people that struggle and they're feel alone and they're they're exhausted and they're in pain um so you know what i uh like i said i i feel very grateful to be on this journey and i've met so many incredible people and i've lost a lot of people but as one great psychologist told me, Steve, you don't know when it was their time to leave. And I cling to that. And it works for me. So I found my coping skills um, and I realize who I am. And it's, uh, I'm a way different person than I was from that, tw you know, that, that little boy. We're, uh, I know we've been going for a little while. We're going to wrap up shortly here. But yeah, just kind of a few things I wanted to say to that. You know, like when it comes to... Um you know, of course, everybody, you know, whatever the, the demons are that you're dealing with, um, you know, is, is different. You know, what, what something might happen to me, something might happen to you, and we just have completely opposite responses to it, or we may have identical, you know, you just don't really know. And so, you know, whatever the, the negative thing is, um, 
one of the things that was interesting for me was understanding that, um, you know, thinking positively and changing that self-talk is not actually the cessation of negative negativity. It's just you need to introduce the positivity. And I think that's that's the thing when you're in when you're in the mud, you don't understand you're dirty. You don't understand what do you mean? I'm not gonna be clean. Like I'm looking I'm looking at my I'm filthy right now. This doesn't make any sense. And it's like, yeah, well just wipe your hand off. You know? Introduce a little bit. Now that's clean. Okay. You know, and just start moving around, you know, and, and just introduce it and keep kind of going in that in that direction. Um Kind of recently, I kind of wish I stumbled upon it earlier because I think it would have been really helpful. Um, but prior to going to law school, I was in uh, psychology at SFU. I really like it. The plan was always law school, but in Canada, you got to do your undergrad and then you go into your whatever specialty degree, um, postgrad. And uh, yeah, I was always drawn to psychology. Never really understood the psychodynamic guys, Freud, Jung little over my head, but you know, you're pretty young at the time. Right. And I mean, God, you're 19 years old. You're an idiot. Right. I mean, let's just, I, and I was an idiot, you know? Um, but coming across Carl Jung, probably about four or five, well, maybe about six months ago. Um, I can't remember the exact quote, but more or less, um, essentially is that if the, if you want the leaves of a tree to reach heaven, the roots have to touch into hell, right? And it kind of reminded me also of like Newton's third law. I think it's third law. I'm not, a, I don't know the physics stuff. Science clearly was not my thing, but we'll just say Newton's third law, which is that every action has an equal and opposite reaction. And so from like a theoretical perspective, you know, when you talk about dealing with your, dealing with your stuff is not easy and it requires a tremendous amount of work but that, you know, for me, it helps to understand like, okay, like you got to deal with this and this is ugly and it's nasty. And like, we're going, we're going down in the hell, man. Like we're, we're getting deep here. But when you get through it, which you will, we don't know when, but you will, if you work and just keep going, maybe you need help, but it's going to get done that equal and opposite reaction, you're going to be doing, you're going to be doing good. You're going to be at a place you never thought that you would be at, you know, and, and I, you know, at least for me, I've been very fortunate that as far as the bad shit that's happened to me has not really been all that bad. You know, it's been, it's okay, you know? And, um, so I'm very fortunate in that way, but you know, those were kind of the things that were really helpful to me, at least from a theoretical perspective, just understanding um, it's okay to not be okay. You know, that's, and like when I read that, you know, that line in your book, immediately I went to that Carl Jung quote, because it just, yeah, I don't know if that connection is obvious. I don't know if I explained that well, but to me, that connection was really obvious. Um, and so it was like, oh, like, yeah, like to get to where you want to be, you got to, you got to go to some nasty places, but you'll get there. You'll actually get there. And, you know, you may need assistance. You may need help, which, you know, you got to do what you got to do. But just stay focused. Try and keep your eye on the prize and, you know, do what you can. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's just, uh, you know, life is suffering. <laughs> it's growing. That's right. You know, Gabor Mate will say what you just talked about there, that if you look at your past or the adversity that you've been through and you keep 
growing and moving forward and um it's amazing what you've done man you're a stud like look at you you're you're law you're gonna freaking break a record that nobody's done in the world before you've dealt with some of your shit you've had in your past you you exude a really cool energy you your parents are super proud of you but more importantly to me you seem like you're proud of yourself that is money huge shift yeah right right you can get through any failure if you're proud of yourself right so um you know that's what people don't understand you got to find things about yourself you like and you got to cherish them and you got to accept your weirdness or your faults <laughs> as your strengths as well that's what makes you who you are and yeah it took a long time for me to do that you know but man you know and I, I am very happy to be where i'm at and you know, nothing's perfect and I expect more adversity, more challenges to come. And, uh, I really like, um, I really like what you're doing with your life. I really like, you know, you're doing a podcast. It's so cool. Like you're, you're connecting with people, you're meeting people, you've, you've been able to learn more, not just about law or you've learned about people. That's, that's the best education that's out there, right? It truly is. Today was a heavy one, holy, but I kind of, I kind of figured like coming in, I'm like, yeah, yeah, today, but feels good. It was a good one. Just for you, you know, uh, being here, you know, any closing remarks from you? Yeah. You know what? I, I, I'm always grateful to be on people, other people's show and, and talk and, and openly talk with, you know, we're not scripting anything. We're just having a conversation. It's pretty cool. So I, if somebody's listening to this and they're struggling, um, I'd ask them to reach out to a crisis line and talk, just talk to someone. No one will know. Um, there's some great resources out there. Headsupguys.org um, is a great resource for guys and uh, um, women's health forward slash mental health dot gov is one for women. And there's lots of coping skills and there's, there's, um, a lot of information on there that can help you with if you feel you're losing your mind, if you feel there's something wrong with you, if you feel all alone, um, you're super sad, you're crying for no reason, just maybe hop on one of those sites and try and learn about yourself and maybe that will guide you to see a health professional. I really believe um, the answer to happiness for people that are struggling is to finding a good health professional, whatever that is. It could be your GP that you trust, but being able to share how you're feeling and someone helping you walk through that tough time and understanding the downward spiral. Um, I just think, I think you can get through anything, but I've seen a lot of loss. So I understand that sometimes you can't. And uh, I just, you know, folks, if you have somebody that's struggling in your life um, and you're worried about them, but you're not sure, go over and ask them if they're okay. Just ask them if they're okay. Um, eight out of 10 people that are thinking about taking their lives are looking for someone to intervene at their lowest point. And because as a culture, as a society, we're terrified to ask somebody, the truth of the matter is you'll never trigger anybody to think about a suicidal thought by asking them if they're thinking of harming themselves. It doesn't trigger that. And, uh, yeah, reaching out to someone, even a coworker that, you know, why is that person being such a prick? Go ask them and you might be surprised. You might you might have just done it at the exact right moment where you made a difference in their life. So yeah, that's what I'd like to 
leave your show with is, you know what, there's always the ability to help someone else and you never know who you touch. Just have the courage to go ask. And if you're struggling, have the courage to reach out for help. Well said. I like that. Smile. Go do something nice for someone else. Have a great day. Thanks so much for having me on your show. Thanks so much, Steve. Welcome to another edition of Undercover Mental Health. Today, I'm sitting with a friend here, and I, he's going to have me on his podcast show. So I'm going to rebroadcast that show <laughs> on today's episode. And uh, Marcus, what's your podcast about? Well, it's a little bit about everything. So uh, I'm, a, I'm a graduated law student. Uh, I went to university in Guildford, England. Went to the University of Surrey, funny enough, from Burnaby, BC, going to University of Surrey. Uh, and basically the podcast, I have a different guest on each week uh, from every walk of life and profession. And I've had musicians on, professors, lawyers, doctors, a fireman today. So we're, we're all over the map. And uh, I started it in my third year, near the end of third year, and have continued to do that. And basically it's just, uh, it's just learning. So as a young guy, uh, I'm 25. It gives me the opportunity to speak to people that I would never have the opportunity to speak to. But that information is so valuable, not only to me, but then to share that with with an audience. It's just unbelievable. It's just unbelievable to be able to do that. So I guess the uh, the, the short answer to your question is uh, it's about learning and uh, experience and uh, connection. And it's super cool to be able to meet people and hear their stories. And it's things that, you know, every podcast, there's always um, sort of like uh, there's a negotiation um, book and they refer to unknown unknowns as black swans, you know, these things that you didn't know. And so every episode, there's always a black swan. You know, you go in thinking it's going to be one thing and there's always something that, uh, you know, you walk away with that. And, you know, and sometimes it's, you know, kind of tongue in cheek, whether it's a, you know, a musician telling me about, uh, you know, a, a weekend that he spent at uh, hanging out with Eric Clapton. I didn't know that they were buddies or, you know, just, you know, a doctor telling me about a patient. There's always these little tidbits that hit, hit in a really cool way. And sometimes they hit pretty hard. But um, yeah, so it's just a, it's just a great experience to be able to talk to as a young guy, you know, to talk to these people who. I just clam onto that, you know, let me learn. So I heard a great line and it said, uh, if you want guys to really open up, put a mic in front of them and tell them it's a podcast. <laughs> That's very true. It's very true. There's always things that I, even for me, I, I will catch myself maybe being a little more open than uh, I intended to, I guess we could say that. Um, but you know, ultimately it's a good thing because that, you know, then that means that you and the guest are, you're sharing and you're opening up and, and that's, uh, that's excellent. It's always a great thing. How do people find your podcast on what platform? Yeah, so it's everywhere. Uh, anywhere that you can listen to a podcast. So Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, YouTube as well. Uh, some of the ones uh, are Zoom. Most of them are Zoom calls, uh, obviously with COVID and whatnot. So uh, some of those Zoom podcasts are on YouTube. And I do have one that I filmed in person with a professor of mine. So that was pretty cool. So that one uh, is going up to YouTube very shortly. So yes, so it's called The Mysteria Podcast. Uh, Instagram as well, at The Mysteria Podcast. 
and you can kind of check it out there and we put some clips on Instagram. I'm not a big social media for a young guy. I am horrible at that stuff. Um, but yes, anywhere you find your podcast, you'll find me there. Cool. Marcus, thanks so much for having me on your podcast. Thanks, Steve. Well, that wraps up another edition of Undercover Mental Health. Thank you for helping us crush the stigma when it comes to mental health. Take care. Okay, I'm done. There you go. Right on. I think I might even leave that introduction in on on on, on my podcast here too. I like the I like the back and forth. So we'll see what the uh, what the editing looks like. But I think I'll leave it in.